coming to you live from New York. I'm Zain Asher in for Julia Chatterley, and this is First Move. Here is your need to know. Record rise. Omicron variant cases surge around the world. COVID closures. Businesses in the UK shut their doors, calling it lockdown by stealth. And Congress clamps down. The US blocks imports from China's Xinjiang region over forced labor fears. It is Friday. Let's make a move. All right, a warm welcome to First Move. So good to have you with us on this Friday, a day where COVID, sadly, once again, is dominating our global headlines. We'll have the latest on the spread of the Omicron variant in just a moment. We'll also be joined by the chief medical officer of Moderna for his take on the new variant severity, just in terms of illness and symptoms, and how Moderna's vaccine specifically holds up. But first, I want to give you a quick check of global stocks. And with apologies to Sir Paul McCartney, we are simply having a volatile Christmas time. Uh, U.S. futures pointing to a continued weakness for tech after Thursday's almost 2.5% Nasdaq sell-off. Blue chips weaker at pre-market too. Stocks rallied across the board Wednesday, even after the Fed announced aggressive new measures to ease stimulus and battle inflation. The path to less central bank support could be a bumpy one for markets, particularly uh, when it comes to high-value tech. And the economic effects of Omicron are certainly a growing concern too. We're going to be talking much more about that in the show. The rise of Omicron cases pressuring European stocks. Let's take a look here uh, as well. Asia finished sharply lower with all the main averages down by more than 1%. The Bank of Japan announcing today that it is also pulling back some pandemic economic support. A busy Friday for global investors. Let's get right to the drivers. In the UK, the Omicron variant has driven the number of COVID cases to a record for the second day running on Thursday. The G7 nations called the Omicron variant the biggest current threat to global health. I want to bring in Selma Delaziz joining us live now from London. So, so far, Selma, uh, eight days to go until Christmas. We've got grisly numbers coming out of the UK just in terms of the Omicron variant. But so far, the UK government has resisted uh, sort of implementing increased restrictions beyond Plan B. Walk us through it. That tidal wave of Omicron has definitely hit here, Zane. Uh, two days in a row now, the daily record, uh, the daily case numbers have broken records, records that have not been broken since the start of this pandemic. Every day, tens of thousands of positive cases being registered by the National Health Service. Businesses taking steps to shut their doors, mainly because many staff are calling out sick themselves. Cancellations are abound. Tens of thousands of people just simply canceling their Christmas plans. And it really feels like everyone, Everyone is reconsidering where they're going to be on December 25th because more positive cases means more people in self-isolation, means more worries and more people alone on Christmas. And yes, of course, critics of Prime Minister Boris Johnson right now pointing the finger and saying, why are there no restrictions in place? There's two reasons for that. Of course, the first is the concern over the healthcare system. There's only a finite number of beds uh, in this country as there are in any country. And the concern is, is as we see these positive cases rise, that that could translate into more people in hospitals in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, secondly, these businesses. These businesses are simply suffering. We already have work from home guidance that's been in place since the start of the week. It means many districts are sort of empty. Shops aren't full. This is the time of the year to recuperate after two years of pandemic. And the government not announcing lockdown means no government support. So it's beginning to look a lot like last Christmas here, Zane, although the prime minister insists this year will be better. All right, let's talk about the prime minister a bit more because um, the Conservative Party lost what was supposed to be a safe seat in 
North uh, Shropshire in the by-elections. The Conservative Party had had this seat for about 200 years, Selma. Certainly a massive blow to that party. What message do you think that sends to uh, Boris Johnson? I think uh, North Shropshire has never really been international news, but it is today <laughs> because this isn't just about some small rural community in England. It is about Prime Minister Boris Johnson getting that much weaker, taking just one more hit to his credibility, to his authority, to his position and power. Because this was a seat that was guaranteed, Zane, 200 years now that the MP for that area has been a Tory. But in a surprise election, uh, now that's going to a Lib Dem candidate. And she said in her speech, uh, the, the winner said, now the party is over, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And that's exactly what many people are reading into this. That This is the backlash against those scandals, those allegations that uh, senior staff, senior Downing Street staff were partying, holding Christmas parties during lockdown last year. A brazen violation of lockdown last year, if that is indeed true. And so you've been hearing today uh, all across the airwaves on radio stations, really from conservative lawmakers who are now looking at their seats and wondering, can I continue to win votes? Can I continue to win elections if I back Prime Minister Boris Johnson? I heard one conservative lawmaker, Zane, saying, one more strike and you're out, Boris. Because remember, there was that other strike earlier this week, 100 MPs, nearly 100 MPs rather, voting against him in Parliament. Now a second strike, a guaranteed MP seat, lost to a Lib Dem candidate. It's starting to look like the beginning of the end for the Prime Minister here, Zane. But you never know, he has nine lives. <laughs> he certainly does. He has this... Uh Amazing ability to survive scandal. Um, we'll see if this is it this time. Salma Delazie's life for us there. Thank you so much. And all of this as the UK faces a new economic challenge from the wave of Omicron infections, as Salma was just talking about there. Finance Minister Rishi Sunak had to cut short a trip to California. I want to bring in Anna Stewart joining us live now from London. So we heard Salma talking about this, that a lot of businesses, especially over this busy holiday period, was expecting expecting this was going to be much better for them financially compared to last year is the government going to offer support for businesses anna especially in the hospitality sector well that was the big question and a question that people wanted to ask the chancellor who was in california yesterday but has rushed back he came under a lot of criticism as the uk frankly is in a state of decline whether you're looking at the health picture as sam was pointing out with the surge in cases or if we look at business activity now, right now, there is no new additional financial support for businesses who are really struggling just in the last few days as a result of this variant spread. Uh, and why? Because the government hasn't actually explicitly imposed a lockdown. Richard Quest actually spoke to the Chancellor yesterday when he was in California and asked, is new support forthcoming? Here's what he said. Well, I think it's important to recognise, as the Prime Minister said earlier today, that the situation is very different to what we've done and encountered before. The government is not telling people to cancel things. It's not closing down businesses. But what we are saying is that there are easy and effective things we can all do to protect ourselves. For example, wearing masks, ensuring good ventilation, and most importantly, right now, going and getting your booster, because that is the best protection we have. Well, as the Chancellor says there, they are not telling people to cancel things. They are not closing down businesses. It's all true. But frankly, people are calling this a lockdown by stealth because listen to some of the guidance that the government has given in press conferences just in the last few days. The prime minister has told people to work from home if they can. 
the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, he said that people need to reduce their social contacts. They need to prioritize who they want to spend time with, given the rise of Omicron. And that will have a real impact, he says, for whether or not you'll be able to enjoy Christmas with your loved ones. And you've got to remember last year, Zane, Christmas was effectively canceled. Households were not allowed to mix. There was also guidance from a medical director from the NHS this week who said, If people in the UK go to a stadium this weekend, they should be going to get a booster jab rather than going to see a match. Now, businesses don't disagree necessarily with any of the health guidance here, but what they want to see is more support, given the sharp decline in activity they are seeing, particularly for consumer-facing businesses. Uh, UK Hospitality, which is a lobby group, representing that sector, has said that cancellations for cafes, bars, restaurants uh, has already fallen by a third, and that was just in 10 days, and they expect it to decline further. So whether it's new grants, whether it's the return of the furlough scheme, they want to see more support. We know the Chancellor is back in the UK. We know he is meeting with business leaders today. But will it be more words or will we really get action that we don't know yet? Zane? Yeah, because they're not, okay, it's fair, they're not being forced to close, but they're having to close anyway because people simply aren't showing up in the numbers they had come to rely on. Um, So Anna, this of course comes as the Bank of England raised rates, but Was that a little bit hasty, given that Omicron looks like it could really end up denting the UK's economic recovery? Yeah, I mean, the economic picture in the UK is not, frankly, looking very good. And it wasn't even before Omicron came around. So October was the latest GDP data we got. And the economy barely grew, 0.1%. Inflation last month in November was the highest it's been in 10 years, 5.1%. And the Bank of England said yesterday it expects that to reach 6% potentially in April next year. That is the picture. Add in the impact of this variant and the fact that we're already seeing such a sharp decline in business activity for consumer-facing sectors, and then consider this. What about all the people that might have to take time off work for being sick or for isolating, uh, even if they are asymptomatic? What will that mean for other sectors? Because that's a broader impact. Will, for instance, it mean that there are less drivers? We already have a shortage of truck drivers. Will that impact supply chains and so on? Will businesses, if they don't get support, have to fold? What will that mean for what currently is actually quite a strong labor market going forwards? And if we have high inflation and a stagnating economy, the big risk here is stagflation. Zane? Anna Stewart, live for us there. Thank you so much. Despite a huge increase of COVID cases in the United States, the number of Americans expected to travel over Christmas and New Year's is expected to be near pre-pandemic record levels. At least one airline is adding flights to meet that demand. Aviation correspondent Pete Montine is at Reagan National Airport. That's outside Washington, D.C. So it appears that there is, Pete, widespread pandemic fatigue. You know, despite the fact that we're seeing these uh, huge numbers in terms of rising cases, people are getting on those planes anyway. That's right, Zane. You know, airline officials talk about this whole notion of pent-up demand that people were shut in for so long because of the pandemic, and now simply they just want to get out. You know, things are getting busier by the moment here at airports and across the country. United Airlines says the busy period really starts today and goes till next Thursday. In fact, it projects that passenger loads will be 20% higher than what it saw during the Thanksgiving rush when we set pandemic-era air travel records. In fact, the Transportation Security Administration here in the United States predicts 20 to 21 million people will pass through security at America's airports. Compare that to a year ago, we were lucky to see about a million people a day. We just saw 2.05 
million people pass through security at America's airports just yesterday, the highest number we have seen since December 5th, really a signal that the rush is on now. Now we'll have to see if this increase in infections will cause these numbers to slump off a little bit. Airlines say they've seen a bit of wavering when it comes to airline bookings because of the Omicron variant. United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby says cancellations are up a little bit, but not as much as what the airlines saw during the Delta variant surge at the beginning of this summer. Here's what he said. Uh, 2022 is still going to be a recovery year uh, for the industry um, because, you know, we're not past COVID isn't over yet. COVID is never going to be over, but it's still in the probably pandemic phase instead of the endemic phase. What's so interesting here, Zane, is that the CDC is now giving at home coronavirus test kits to international travelers as they arrive in airports here in the United States. The tests are completely free, and the CDC says it's imperative for travelers to get tested between three and five days after they arrive here in the U.S. This is just a trial run for now at a few different airports, Dallas, Miami, Minneapolis, Chicago, O'Hare. The CDC says more airports sometime soon. But the overarching message from the TSA here is that you have to mask up, bring a lot of patience, a lot of flexibility as well as you travel. And they say if you have not booked your travel yet, you may want to consider traveling on December 25th, Christmas Day itself. That's when the numbers are expected to be the lowest. Zane. Ooh, thank you for that pointer. Uh, Pete Mantine, line for us. Thank you so much. <laughs> Now to new friction between the U.S. and China. Beijing strongly criticizing Washington's move to ban imports from the Xinjiang region over forced labor concerns. U.S. actions have seriously undermined the principles of market economy and international economic and trade rules, seriously harmed the interests of Chinese organizations and companies. Beijing is strongly dissatisfied and resolutely opposes the actions. We urge the United States to immediately rectify its mistaken ways. President Biden is set to sign the measure into law after the Senate passed the bill. Stephen Jiang has more. The Chinese response has been fast and furious, with a foreign ministry official on Friday calling the latest U.S. action showing how Washington has become hysterical towards China and vowing to uh, retaliate to protect the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese businesses. Now, this uh, latest move in Washington, of course, is a, a part of a broader uh, pushback by Washington uh, towards Beijing on a series of issues, but especially on its Xinjiang policy. Just in the past few days, for example, we've seen uh, uh, the reports of new and strengthened sanctions targeting Chinese companies that allegedly helped authority conduct high-tech surveillance on the Muslim population in Xinjiang. And that list includes some very prominent Chinese companies such as DJI, the world's biggest commercial drone maker, as well as uh, SMIC, uh, the country's biggest computer chip maker. And if and when all those measures and laws are fully implemented, they will have teeth because uh, Xinjiang does play uh, a quite an important role in the Chinese economy and even the global supply chain when it comes to the manufacturing of solar panels, for instance. And that's why we've seen uh, this realization here in Beijing that this issue is not going away, despite their uh, very strong and repeated denial of any human rights uh, abuses in the Xinjiang region. And that's also why we've seen increasingly officials here, including Chinese leader Xi Jinping, emphasize the need uh, for China to become technologically self-reliant, as Xi Jinping keeps reminding his officials the importance and urgency to free China from the U.S. chokehold when it comes to key sectors and technologies. Stephen Zhang, CNN, Beijing.
All right, these are the stories uh, making headlines around the world. Officials in the Philippines say at least 12 people have died from a powerful cyclone that struck the country. Typhoon Rai has flooded towns, damaged homes, and toppled trees and other buildings. Authorities are conducting rescue operations and have evacuated more than 300,000 people. I want to bring in Selena Wang, who's following the developments live from Tokyo. So, Selena, this typhoon basically hit the southwestern, southeastern excuse me, part of the country and brought with it flooding and very, very heavy rains. What more do we know? Well, Zane, this super typhoon Rai has wreaked havoc on the country. The storm initially packed winds of 160 miles per hour when it made landfall on the central east coast of the country, Shargao Island. This is a popular tourist destination and a surfing spot as well. And in the images of the destruction, you can see the typhoon. It tore houses to pieces. It uprooted trees, toppled power lines, flooded villages and towns. And villagers were seen scrambling to salvage whatever of their belongings they could from their destroyed homes. Homes. And Zane, this is the 15th typhoon to hit the Philippines this year. That is a bitter blow to millions who were still rebuilding and recovering their livelihoods from not only the storms from earlier this year in the Philippines, but also from the COVID-19 pandemic. And communication and power were out in several parts of the country. That made the rescue efforts even more difficult. It's also making it very hard for officials to dis- determine the extent of the damage. The storm also hit heavily populated parts of the country as well, including Cebu, which is a city of nearly one million people. Take a listen to what the chairman of the Red Cross in the Philippines had to say. Even in the key cities like Cebu, uh, buildings uh, uh, have been affected, uh, business has been affected. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, go around and there's an explosion of debris uh, from uh, uh, fallen trees and falling uh, buildings. There were two casualties uh, in the area, uh, two dead uh, from fallen tree and uh, from a fallen wall. Authorities said that more than 300,000 people have been evacuated from their homes. The super typhoon is expected to gradually weaken and spread to Vietnam and China's Hainan province, but the impact in those areas are not expected to be too significant. And as we've seen, Zane, in other parts of the world, the climate crisis is making typhoons and hurricanes more intense, more destructive. A recent study showed that typhoons in Asia could double their destructive power by the end of the century. And a really interesting statistic here is that they already last between two and nine hours longer and travel an average of 100 kilometers further inland than they did four decades ago. Zane. Selena Wang, live for us there. Thank you so much. Police in Osaka, Japan, are investigating the possibility of arson following a deadly fire Friday morning at a psychiatric clinic. Up to 27 people may have lost their lives. Dozens more were injured. According to a news report, a man inside the building was seen spilling liquid near a heater and starting the fire. He's reportedly in critical condition. Still to come here on First Move, vaccines and the variant. Moderna's chief medical officer on how Omicron changes the vaccine calculation. And real-world results, the CEO of the South African insurance company that carried out a major study of the Omicron variant. That's next on First Move. All right, welcome back to First Move. U.S. stock futures still pointing to a weak open on Wall Street. Tech set to soften soften further after Thursday's 2.5% Nasdaq drop. U.S. investors are grappling with the growing COVID uncertainty as well as fresh 
fiscal uncertainty as well. President Biden conceding that his massive social spending bill will not pass Congress by Christmas amid opposition from holdout Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. Debate on the bill will most likely extend into the new year. Meanwhile, oil on track for a losing week. It's currently down by well over 1%. That said, Goldman Sachs now predicting that oil demand could hit all-time highs over the next two years. Goldman won't rule out $100 a barrel oil oof, in 2022. All right, here in the U.S., Centers for Disease Control has updated its recommendations for preferred COVID-19 vaccine brands. It's now making it clear that it prefers shots by Moderna and Pfizer, BioNTech, over Johnson & Johnson. It's because of a rare blood clotting syndrome is more common among those who've had Johnson & Johnson. Earlier this week, lab studies revealed the Omicron variant can evade the Moderna vaccine, but boosters restore protection. Dr. Paul Burton is the chief medical officer at Moderna. Dr. Burton, thank you so much for being with us. I, wanna, I want you to update our audience on some news that came out about two weeks ago when we first heard of the Omicron variant. Is Moderna right now still working towards um, a version of the vaccine that is geared to specifically targeting just the Omicron variant? Yes. Hello, Zane. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, absolutely. We are. Uh, the beauty of the platform, the Moderna mRNA platform, is that we're able to quickly adjust and tailor uh, vaccines to meet the new variants that come along. And Omicron is clearly a very important one, a serious one. And so we announced, as you say earlier, that we would be uh, making an Omicron-specific vaccine. And that work continues now. It's interesting because Dr. Anthony Fauci says that he doesn't think that we need necessarily um, a vaccine or a booster that specifically targets Omicron. Um, clearly, Moderna dis disagrees with that. Why is that? I think Dr. Fauci is right that at the moment, uh, the data suggests that the current vaccines that we have are clearly effective against COVID in general, and they do provide protection uh, against the Omicron-specific variant. So I think it's important for people you know, around the world listening to this, get vaccinated, get boosted. But we just don't know what the situation will be worldwide in 2022 if Omicron is likely a dominant variant. I think it's likely that we will need very specific uh, new vaccines to address it. And it really is on us as leaders in this field of mRNA technology and vaccination against COVID to be able to provide that. So we take it seriously and it's our responsibility and we're, we're making that vaccine. So for people who have just had, only recently just had their second Moderna uh, dose. Um, how long should they wait? Because the recommended time to wait between your second dose and the booster shot is roughly around six months. Do you still agree with that, especially given the rise in cases, both in the United States and, of course, you've seen what's happening in Europe? Do you still think that sort of gap between having your second dose and the booster should be six months or do you think it should be shorter? It's interesting because health authorities and governments around the world are, are making different rulings. Some are six months, some are, some are shorter. I think the data says in general that um, after the second dose, uh, immunity begins to wane. And I think probably governments just have to keep looking at the emerging data in their region and, and look at how cases, how cases rise and make the best choices. Um, it may be that we will have to have to go to a shorter interval. But again, I think governments, regulators, 
uh, you know, vaccine agencies are going to have to look at the data and make their own choices. I mean, is it worth um, sort of, I mean, obviously some people are deciding, you know, right now when to get their booster shot. As you mentioned, governments around the world have different sort of timelines. Um, but if Moderna is coming out with a specific kind of booster shot that targets Omicron, if people are on the fence and trying to decide whether to get their booster in terms of the Moderna vaccines that already exists or waiting for the Omicron specific booster that may or may not come out next year, what would you say to that? What is the recommended path to take? Yes, look, I think the, the data are clear on that. First of all, if, if people are on the fence and haven't been vaccinated yet, n- there is no better time now to get vaccinated. Uh, there is actually a very useful website, makeityourvaccine.com. It has great information on it. You can, you can d- download, get some good information. So get vaccinated now, I think is clear. And I would not wait for a specific vaccine, a specific booster. You have the opportunity get boosted now. So, um, as you know, your rival Pfizer um, has an experimental drug, an experimental pill that if authorized, if approved, would be would be a game changer when it comes to reducing hospitalizations and death from COVID. Um, Is Moderna working on anything similar in that vein? Currently, our approach to tackling COVID and helping to end this pandemic is through vaccines uh, to continue with the current vaccine and to bring along the variant specific version. So that will be our strategy continuing as we announced a while ago going forward. As you know, the U.S. passed a grim milestone this week, um, 50 million cases of COVID and also, um, you know, 800,000, 800,000 deaths in the U.S. specifically. Um, you know, just I want to get your thoughts on that. And also how protected are people, people who haven't had a booster shot, how protected are people with just two vaccine doses from Moderna? Yeah, so it's, you're right. These are terrible milestones that we have to pass. Um, you know, tomorrow actually marks the one year anniversary of the authorization of the Moderna vaccine. And a lot of it has been said in these recent weeks about how effective are vaccines as a whole, you know, they've prevented over a million deaths, 10 million hospitalizations. So they are very, very effective. Um, I think the best thing people can do is to get vaccinated. Uh, The Moderna vaccine has been given in 370 million doses around the world. So we know that all of these vaccines are safe and highly effective. Um, And I think, you know, as people make their choices now, think about what to do, which which uh, shot to get. There's a lot of great information around, uh, but getting boosted now is clearly the way to get protected for the winter through this holiday season. And again, while Omicron is very serious and we need to take it very seriously, uh, we can get through this together. We've been at it two years now. We know what to do. All right, Dr. Paul Burton, Chief Medical Officer at Moderna. Thank you so much. All right, you are watching First Move. The market open is up next. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running on this last trading day of the week on Wall Street. And as expected, we've got a lower open across 
The board, you can see there, with particular weakness there in tech. It's another big op options expiration Friday, so stock volatility could be more pronounced than usual. Trading is winding down after a headline-filled week with the U.S. and U.K. central banks announcing cuts to economic support. An entirely different story in Turkey, that country's currency plunging to fresh record lows after the Turkish central bank's fourth consecutive interest rate cut. Turkish President Erdogan pressuring the central bank to keep rates low, even as the inflation rate soars. The lira currently down more than 7% against the dollar. South Africa says it is seeing a much lower hospitalization rate in this wave of the pandemic. This confirms a key finding from a major real-world study of the Omicron variant. Health insurer Discovery Health analyzed thousands of tests while the variant became dominant in the country. It found that Omicron was more infectious, but hospitalizations were lower than for other variants. It showed a small increase in hospitalization risk for children, but it also found that Omicron reduces vaccine efficacy. Joining me now is Dr. Ryan Noach, CEO of Discovery Health. Uh, Dr. Noach, thank you so much for being with us. So just give us a bit more detail about this study that Discovery Health conducted just in terms of vaccine efficacy, reinfection and, and sort of how widespread or how quickly rather this variant is spreading. Sure. And thanks so much for having me. Uh, we've analyzed a large sample of COVID-19 positive cases. Unfortunately, South Africa has been the first country to be at the epicenter of an Omicron outbreak. Uh, as a result, we've got some unique insights about uh, various issues, some of which you mentioned. Um, the increase in cases is frightening and has been a very steep upward trajectory. I think what is encouraging is that the typical curve of hospital admissions indicating severe disease that we've seen with other waves hasn't reproduced with this wave. In this Omicron wave, there's been a delinking between the infections and the hospitalizations. And our data points, we've been able to measure a 29% lower hospital admission risk across the population on average as a result of this lower severity. There are some caveats around that. Um, and, uh, you know, we are early in this Omicron wave here in South Africa. So we must not become complacent and must wait and see what happens. From a vaccine effectiveness perspective, very importantly, through a negative test design study uh, that's been peer reviewed by credible scientists here in South Africa, and that will be publishing shortly in a clinical journal, we've shown that the effectiveness of the double dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine remains 70% effective at, at re reducing the risk of hospital admission. This is quite a significant drop from the 93% effectiveness we saw during the Delta wave here in South Africa, mm -hmm. notwithstanding which 70% protection is still quite reassuring. And with our booster campaign of a third dose of Pfizer shots commencing shortly, we're hopeful that we will achieve greater e effectiveness in due course. So then so then, let, let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Snow, should how much of the rest of the world sort of look at this study and look at what's specifically happening in South Africa and sort of apply it to what might happen elsewhere, do you think? I think it's incredibly relevant and important. You know, the more we can understand across the world, the better. There are some confounding issues uh, which may be different country to country. One of them that's important is that here in South Africa, we do think that there is a relatively high population seroprevalence rate. 
What that means in simple terms is we think a large portion of the South African population has had a prior exposure to COVID-19. That may turn out to be larger than other parts of the world. That could indeed be suppressing the severity here in a South African context. So, you know, I think for other countries, I wouldn't take it for granted that it's going to be less severe, though there are encouraging signs and reasons for optimism. Does South Africa, you know, have the adequate um, health infrastructure, do you think, to manage this particular wave, especially given how quickly it's spreading? That's a very good question. And actually, to date, the private healthcare and public healthcare sectors in South Africa have worked very closely together in solidarity and have coped very well with the COVID-19 outbreaks. And we've had three waves here in South Africa with quite a severe beta and delta wave. I think what's particular about this Omicron wave is that we're seeing this lower severity, yet the volumes are enormously high. And because it's spreading so fast on a community spread basis, uh, it, it could still overwhelm the healthcare system just by virtue of the volume of infections, these all happening concomitantly due to the rapid spread. So this does still pose, uh, pose a health system risk. At this point in time, our health system is coping more than adequately and the hospitals are certainly not nearly as full as they had been in prior waves, despite us being now three, three and a half weeks into this Omicron wave. And what has been the effect, um, just in terms of what your study concluded, what has been the effect of this um, particular variant and how quickly it's spreading on the younger population, on people who are 18 years old and younger? Yeah, this has been a concerning issue, and we don't want to create panic, but the data is telling a story here that children under the age of 18, and particularly those under the age of five years, seem to be experiencing slightly more severe manifestation of Omicron, certainly relative to the prior waves here in South Africa. On a risk-adjusted model, where we take into account different clinical factors, ages, and vaccination status, we've concluded that children are at a 20% higher risk than they were previously of admission to hospital now in this Omicron wave. I think what's got to be kept in mind there so that one doesn't become too panicky around this is that the baseline of uh, pediatric admissions was very low. Uh, and so although 20% sounds like a big number, it's actually a small movement off the baseline. Uh, the, you know, kids are still being admitted in low numbers in absolute terms. But our data is saying that uh, children tend to have a higher risk and it correlates with, uh, with two other sets of interesting uh, data points. The one being our National Institute of Communicable Diseases who released data to, uh, uh, 10 days ago. Uh, and they also picked up this phenomenon with children. And the other is that we're staying very close to the healthcare professionals treating patients on the ground. And anecdotally, they're seeing this too. Um, but overall, though, just in terms of um, applying what's happening to, in South Africa to elsewhere in the world, you're saying that South Africa, because of previous exposure to other ways, waves and the Delta variant, might indeed have a higher level of immunity. That may well be the case. South Africa's population is about 45 percent vaccinated, uh, although in our client base, where this data was analysed, we have more than a 60 percent vaccination rate. So that's the vaccination rate, and that differs country to country and is going to play a big part here. The second part of it is, of course, what the underlying immunity is from prior infection. 
And our estimates are that a high proportion of the South African population has been exposed in the past. This would provide added immunity. And so one must take this data into account, draw the necessary optimism and encouragement, but country by country, we need to measure the severity and make sure that there's no complacency. The underlying message is that vaccines remain, certainly the Pfizer double dose, remain 70% effective in reducing the risk of hospitalization. It's, uh, it's really a good reason to go out and be vaccinated. Right. Uh, Dr. Ryan Noach, thank you so much. CEO of Discovery uh, Health, thank you so much for being with us. And stay with First Move. We'll have much more after this quick break. In a CNN exclusive, the British Chancellor Rishi Sunak told Richard Quest the government is not telling people to cancel plans and it is not closing down businesses in the face of rising COVID cases. Sunak is due to hold talks with business leaders after cutting short a controversial work trip to California. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, before he left, he told Richard the situation in the UK cannot be compared to how things have played out previously. Well, I think it's important to recognise, as the Prime Minister said earlier today, that the situation is very different to what we've done and encountered before. The government is not telling people to cancel things. It's not closing down businesses. But what we are saying is that there are easy and effective things we can all do to protect ourselves. For example, wearing masks, ensuring good ventilation, and most importantly, right now, going and getting your booster, because that is the best protection we have. And in terms of being in California, whatever the, the intention of the trip, it's now being derided back home. Do you wish you hadn't gone? No, this is a long planned trip where I'm meeting with dozens of industry leaders and investors from the technology space to talk to them about bringing investment and jobs and new products and services to the UK. For example, I just met with a company this morning that's trialing a new blood test for early cancer screening with the NHS. Uh, but of course, I understand the concerns of businesses at the moment, given everything that's going on. That's why I've been in touch with hospitality industry leaders today. My team are hosting roundtables and talking to them. And it's why I've curtailed my trip and I will be leaving earlier tonight and I'll be back in the UK tomorrow. On this issue of more support for, particularly bearing in mind, let's take, for example, France, which has basically locked off the UK, uh, or, uh, as you'll be aware, with new COVID restrictions. I understand you're an element of wait and see, but I guess I'm pushing you to say you are prepared to do more if necessary. I think as we've demonstrated throughout this crisis, the government has always stood ready and willing to support the country as required. I think our track record on that is very good. And the thing that we are most focused on now is for everyone to go and get their booster. We're in the midst of a, an unprecedented drive to get boosters to as many people as possible because that is our best possible protection against Omicron. And that's why there is an enormous national effort. And I would urge everyone to go and do that. Can you understand, though, listening to businesses, listening to that, they, they, they sort of feel they're left out on their own a bit. Uh, they're feeling like overnight mass cancellations at a time of the busiest time of the year and they're looking for further help. 
I understand the concerns of the hospitality industry, and of course, that's why we have supported the industry uh, continuously throughout the pandemic. Uh, and what I'd say to everyone in that industry is there is support in place at the moment that can help. For example, this year, all the way through to next spring, people are paying only around a quarter of their normal business rates bill. So that's an enormous boost to cash flow. Secondly, the hospitality industry is still benefiting from a lower rate of VAT all the way through to next uh, spring as well. And thirdly, we have cash that we have provided to local councils. About a quarter of a billion pounds is still available, uh, and that can be distributed to companies as required. And my immediate priority is to make sure that that money gets out the door to those who need it as quickly as possible. Now let's talk about the wider economy. The uh, Bank of England raised rates. It's, it, we knew it was coming. It came sooner than perhaps some people had thought, but it was there anyway. If you had been, I know you're going to tell me that the, the MPC's independent, but I'll go for it anyway. Uh, if you had been on the MPC as a voting member, would you have gone with Silvana Tenoreo and held off for a few more months? Well, in, co in common with many other countries around the world, the UK is, of course, experiencing a period of, of higher inflation as we grapple with many of the same global supply chain challenges as, as other nations. Now, responsibility for monetary policy is, of course, that of the independent central bank. It wouldn't be appropriate uh, for me to comment on that. But what I'd say is people should be reassured that the Bank of England's track record in managing inflation is very good. Uh, and also, we in the government are also so supporting families with a cost of living through the winter, most recently cutting taxes for millions of the lowest paid, which will put an extra £1,000 in the pockets of those people over the next 12 months. Coming up on a wing and a prayer, the daredevil flying in and out of a volcano. That story next. This year, we've seen supply snarl-ups leading to rising prices all over the world. Shipping demand has skyrocketed and container space is at a premium. One company has set out to unblock global shipping using blockchain. Lenny Jokos explains. These bright colored steel boxes have one mission, to go from point A to point B, constantly on the move. Every year, millions of shipping containers are packed with some of our favorite items and transported across the seas. A simple cubic meter of space on a shipping container at this point is the world's most traded commodity. The issue is because of the pandemic backlog, prices have gone up. Owners of the containers can't afford to let any space go to waste. So, filling up every square foot is essential to be profitable. One company has found a solution. Cubex Global is like Booking.com, but for ocean freight. You can uh, buy, sell and bid empty inventory in any container from any shipping port in the world to anywhere. Using blockchain technology, Cubex Global is selling unused space on shipping containers for better efficiency and savings. If you look at shipping for decades, it's been running in a very analog method. 30% of global shipments today are delayed because of human error. There are 12 different documents together humans have to fill up. And because maybe of a, a mistake, sometimes even entire ships are delayed. We are able to take that element of human error out. By digitizing the process, 
Tariq says blockchain also provides more security and transparency. Maritime business experts say it's a new school of thought for the industry. I think that sharing the container itself is not new. What is new is that if you have kind of digital technologies, the digital model really um, makes it much more efficient to share cargo and therefore also more economical for shippers. A high-tech option for an industry that has been slow to change its system over the years. It's as simple as booking a ticket from any country to any destination. So you pick your port of origin, port of destination, you enter the load and then it takes you to the next form and then you see all the lists. It'll show you the most economical route, cheapest one, the fastest one. Economical and cheap. These are words some people want to hear these days, with some shipping rates 600% higher than just one year ago. At Cubex Global, the big idea is to build a platform which is more sustainable, which is cheaper and more accessible to everybody in the world. A solution to maximize container space and getting some of our favorite items shipped at a more friendly price. Heleni Jokas, CNN. And finally, on first move, call it a lava leap. Chilean daredevil Sebastian Alvarez plunging into the crater of one of the country's most active volcanoes, wearing, get this, only a wingsuit. Look at him go. He becomes the first known person ever to fly in and out of an active volcano. Alvarez said that uh, he made certain to consult uh, a higher authority before the jump. I want you to listen to this. Let's talk seriously. This is, is it's a volcano and it's active. And if I fail, you know the results. And if the volcano doesn't want me there, you can do whatever he wants, you know? So, so I, was, I asked for permission. And then I went there and said thank you. And on that note, we are set to fly out of here on First Move. That's it for the show. Connect the World with Richard Quest is up next. I'll be back in two hours' time with my show, One World. You're watching CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.